Good morning, church. Can you believe that we are now just one week away from the launch of Go Church? I am so excited. I mean, God is just doing so much in the life of our church, and, and I don't want you to miss any of it. So you've heard us make this announcement before, but you got to mark your calendars to be here next Sunday, September the 8th, for the launch of Go Church. You're not going to be disappointed. We've got three Sunday morning gathering times happening at our South Metro Atlanta campus, 8, 9.45, and 11.30. And then at our Germantown campus, you're going to meet at 10 a.m. So be here next Sunday. It's the kickoff to At The Movies. It's the kickoff to Go Church. It's a great day for you, your family, and your friends. Now today, you're in for a real treat. One of my close friends, Pastor Daniel Gray, an international speaker, is coming to the platform to bring the message. And naturally, he's no stranger to us. He's been here before, and God's hand is upon his ministry. And what an honor it is to have him with us. So speaking of honor, the Bible says to give honor where honor is due. So I'm going to invite both campuses right now. Stand up on your feet, put your hands together, and welcome to the platform, Pastor Daniel Gray. Awesome. Man, that was good enough for me. Can we make some noise for Jesus? Come on, if you love him today. Woo, man. Y'all can be seated in the presence of the Lord. It's so good to be back at South Metro. Man, I love it here. Uh, it's not my first time here. The first time I was here, I was a guest. But since this is like my third time here, I'm just going to go ahead and adopt myself into the family, if that's all right. Uh, we had an incredible first uh, service, man, the worship and all that happened, all that God did. Uh, if that was just a prelude to what's about to happen in this room right now, I believe you could be forever changed. You know, the Bible, it shares a lot about faith. And one of my favorite verses about faith is where it says, as your faith is, so be it unto you. And that's really encouraging for me when I come in an environment like this because that means no matter what anyone else around me thinks about what's happening in this atmosphere, in this environment, if I have the faith for a breakthrough, then as my faith is, not your faith, not their faith, not, as my faith is, so be it unto me. And so today, my faith is that I'm believing God for breakthroughs. If you believe it, say amen. Uh, I love to uh, give honor, and the Bible tells us to do so. And I just want to, even in their absence, just honor your lead pastors and Pastor JC and Kimberly. If you love them, make some noise. Let them know if they're streaming, watching somewhere. <laughs> Let them know you love them and appreciate them. I'm just so thrilled to call them friends, and I'm excited and honored to be here with you today. I brought a picture of my family. If we could throw that on the screen just because they're so beautiful. That's my bride, Heather, and that's our children. That's Zion and Graceland, and they're both turning six and seven this week because they're only 53 weeks apart. Y'all pray for me, okay? Just whenever you think of me, just Lord bless them, give them strength, Lord. So they're, they're turning six and seven. That's the joy of my life. And I, I show you that picture uh, because uh, just because I heard that if you show a picture to an audience before you preach to them, they're 67% better paying attention. So I just showed that to you today. Maybe you'll lock in. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go to the word right away. I, want, I have so much I want to share, but I believe God's going to move in our midst. And I just want to go right into it. In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua chapter 5, uh, we welcome everyone here, obviously. We welcome anyone who's watching and streaming online. We also welcome our Germantown campus. Come on, can we make some noise and let them know? Come on. It's going to be a good day in the house of the Lord. Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. 
Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua chapter 6 verse 1. We're skipping all the way down to Joshua chapter 6 verse 1. Stay with me. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. And no one came in. Come on, you know this story. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets and of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with a priest blowing the trumpets. He's given him very detailed instructions here. Verse 5. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Joshua is sharing the exact details that God shared with him. Joshua, now we're in chapter 6 still. We're going to skip all the way down, though, to verses 20 and 21. And this is the last two verses I'm going to read before we pray. It says, when the the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, they, and they took the city. Now, I want to underline, underscore, highlight, circle in your reading in chapter 6, verse 21, where it reads, they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword. Somebody say, with the sword. Can't hear you say, with the sword. They destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. I want to preach to you this morning at South Metro. Uh, maybe that's the last time I'll ever be able to say that, right? Because next week it'll be Go Church. Praise the Lord. Anybody excited about next week? <laughs> oh, man, I hope you bring somebody with you to church. Next week it's going to be powerful. But today, before we get to this place next week, God has a place for us right here, right now. And the title of my sermon today, if I'm if I'm just being really uh, clear, is, is not so much a title as it is a question for us. And here's the question today is this. Where is the power? Where is the power? I've heard about this power that I have access to as a believer, but today I just want to know if it's there, if it's anywhere. Where? What's the location? How do I get this power that I've heard so much about? Where is the power? Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying that as I have prepared and as I have prayed before this moment that God I have done my due diligence now Lord I'm praying that I would just simply take dictation from heaven and speak and write the words that you have on the hearts of the people in this room God speak to them open their eyes open their ears open up their spirit to receive something that could change them from the inside out forever in Jesus name someone will face say amen. amen ladies and gentlemen I get so excited to talk about the old testament I I get thrilled with the Old Testament. I love studying the, the stories in the Old Testament. And one of my favorite characters is the character that we get to really look at as the chief character of our text today. His name is Joshua. The reason why I think I love Joshua so much is because Joshua is, is one of the clearest pictures we see in the scriptures of someone who has taken the reins of leadership from an incredible leader. Someone who has taken the responsibility and the authority of leading a group of people. But you know, there was a leader who came before Joshua. To lead this group of people called the Israelites. Now if you know the Old Testament. You know that God's chosen people. Israel. He's called them to go to a place. That he's promised them. A land flowing with milk and honey. We know it as the promised land. 
But before Joshua ever receives this, this, this job, this role of leading this ginormous group of people to a place that God had called them to, in order for us to properly understand Joshua this morning, it would help us, it would serve us well if we just hold up, time out, take a seat for a second, don't go too fast, and we talk about the leader who preceded Joshua. In order for us to understand Joshua, it helps to just take Moses who preceded him and put him up underneath the homiletical microscope, if you will. Now, the thing about Moses that I want us to look at this morning, first and foremost, is that Moses, when he was leading this group of people, Israel, Moses was the kind of leader that he really didn't need anybody else's help. If you look in the stories of the scriptures where Moses would have these shining moments, you will see that Moses, he was the kind of leader that didn't really need anybody else's help. He was the kind of guy that his style of leadership was, I'm going to do this my way, I'm going to do it myself because I use somebody else, I'll probably mess it up. I know nobody's married to that person, but uh, Moses, this is his style of leadership. I'm going to do it my way. The thing that, that I love about Moses was that the, the, the Israelites, no matter what they faced, no matter what they walked through, any problem, any situation that would arise, as long as Moses was there and he had his stick in his hand, you're going to be all right. You know the stories. There was a time where they were so hungry, they were complaining and murmuring, and, and Moses, in the midst of these people who needed something, they were so hungry, they were starving. Moses just steps up to the plate, stretches out the stick, and says, I got you. And boom, Chick-fil-A starts emanating right out of heaven for all of God's people. Uh, it, it was incredible. Somebody said, what in the Popeyes? And I said, well, maybe it was because it was Sunday when it happened, you know. But, but, but he, he could stretch out the stick. And, and just like that day where manna falls, he, he could bring about miracles just as long as he stretched out the staff and it's incredible there was another story right where they were the Israelites were thirsty they were parched they needed something to drink Moses says you guessed it I got you steps up stretches out the stick boom taps a rock and Fiji water starts flowing for all of God's children on that day uh, or, or probably the most famous story about Mo is is the day where 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 he yeah affectionately I call him that sometimes where where he's leading Israel out of Egyptian slavery and bondage and and when he leads them out they're coming back to capture them and if you know the story or you've seen the movie where Charlton Heston you know they come to this place called the Red Sea and they're looking at this impossible situation and they're thinking there's no way we're getting through this we don't have a boat we have no way it's impossible but Moses says mm -hmm, I got you stretches out the stick and the waters part and they get across on dry ground and once again Moses saves the day now as great as Moses is ladies and gentlemen the truth is he never got Israel to the promised land. See, Moses, in his style of leadership, he would eventually burn out and have to pass the baton to the next generation leader. And here we are with this new guy. His name is Joshua. See, I've been rushing to get to Joshua. See, Joshua, the reason why I told you about Moses is because when Joshua gets the job, when Joshua gets called up, you know that everybody's thinking when they're looking at Joshua, where's your stick? You know, his first week on the job, essentially, his first week on the job, essentially, they, they come to a place called the Jordan River. If you go read your Bible in Joshua, you'll see this is fascinating. Now, if I'm one of them Israelites, Moses is gone, just new guys in town, we're trying to get to the promised land, and in order for us to get there, we have to get through, we have to get past this body of water that we somehow have to miraculously get across. If I'm an Israelite, I'm thinking, uh-huh, been here before, got the t-shirt and the shot glass. Where's your stick, man? If Moses was here, we'd be through this thing. And while they're looking at Joshua, like, like, how can this leader lead us? He, he's not Moses. He doesn't have what Moses had. In that moment, Joshua says, okay, here's what we're going to do. 
Keyword, we. He says, you're going to carry the ark. You guys are going to worship. You guys are going to intercede. You're going to be on this team. You're going to get in front. You're going to get behind. And we're all going to come together. And Joshua did his thing his own way. But what I want you to notice is, is that the text says when they stepped into the Jordan, just like at the Red Sea, the water stopped. And they got across on dry ground. And I need you to see this, ladies and gentlemen, because this means you don't have to be just like anybody else to be used by God. Joshua didn't step up and stretch out a step because he said I don't need a staff when I got a staff and he said I'm going to enlist these people and they're going to come around me and Joshua saves the day this is awesome because listen never let anybody else tell you you have to be anybody else but you you are the best you on the planet fearfully and wonderfully made God chose to create you to be you so you might as well go ahead and be you on purpose Joshua now has credibility. Can you see him there? Can, can you see him as they cross over? And Joshua, the new guy, does a miracle. Can you see them? They're lifting up Joshua on their shoulders. They're chanting his name. They're chanting his name. And they come up over the horizon. Here it is of this victory only to see in the distance between them and the promised land. The city that we know is Jericho, but it was a city with walls completely surrounding it. And if anything like me. When I heard the stories, the Sunday school stories about the walls of Jericho, I kind of just in my sanctified imagination, if you will, pictured just a castle sitting in a desert, you know, with a little flag at the top, you know what I'm saying? And, and had a little Christian flag or something on there, and it had some cinder blocks around it just stacked up really high, you know? But, but if, you, if you go and you look at some history, you find that this city was, was, was an intimidating sight for these people. That in the distance, they knew if we are going to get to what God has promised us, the only way is to go through this. But when they're looking at this, they see a militarily fortified city with an outer wall six feet thick, 20 feet high. With armed guards and soldiers ready to take you out if you even try to get close to our walls. Then there was an inner wall that was twice the size as the outer wall. And so as they're looking at this city, they realize this is impossible. The Israelites are like, Joshua, how could we ever, how could we ever start to march toward what God has for us if this is what we have to go through? They're like, Joshua, we don't have a, we don't, we don't have a bazooka. We don't have a hand grenade. We don't have a trebuchet. We don't have, we don't have Chuck Norris on our side somewhere. Like we have nothing that is going to be required to be able to get through this. We are weak. They are strong. And in that moment, as the Israelites are looking at Joshua, the Bible shows us that Joshua, it says this, he looks up. And he sees a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now, Joshua did this, does the same thing I would do. You know, the first thing he says when he sees a dude with a weapon is he says, oh, whose side you on? Because if I see somebody with a weapon on, I'm like, hey, hey. You know, he says, whose side are you on? And this man says, neither. And watch this. Joshua begins to fall down and listen to this man who says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now, some people would postulate that this was some kind of angelic appearance, that some angel came out of heaven and visited Joshua before his battle to kind of encourage him, you know. But I want to show you this is bigger than an angel. I don't have time for an apologetics class or a theological debate today, but I want to show you two things I see. First of all, this man allows Joshua to fall down and give him worship. Last time I checked, angels don't receive, rather they give worship. And then he says, take off your sandals because the ground that you are standing on is holy. And Joshua did so, which is the very same thing, by the way, God said to Moses through a bush that was on fire. And I submit to you today for your careful examination that now God is speaking to Joshua through a man with a sword. 
What we see here is the manifest presence of God in the appearance of a man. Some scholars, theologians have said this, would, what, this is what we could call a Christophany, the closest thing to a Christ before he was ever born. That's why, that, and how could that be? Well, before you get too deep in your thinking, just know that even in Revelation it tells us that God had a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, which means Christ was crucified before Mary was pregnant. It's eternal language. See, see, God doesn't live on our timetable, ladies and gentlemen. And he says to Joshua, watch me here. He says, the first thing he says is, see, see, I have already given you the city along with its king, along with everything in there. I have. Notice God did not say, I will. He said, I have. Oh, can I just stop right here and help somebody? I'm so glad that with God, his promises for me and for you are not I will. They are I have. See, God doesn't say I will heal you today. No, God says I have healed you. You're just catching, catching up to what's already been completed in time. That's why he's alpha and omega. That's why he's beginning and he's the end. That's why he's the author, but he's going to be the finisher of your story. If you believe it, say amen. He gives, him, he gives him the ability to see by saying, I have already done it. He's saying, see, it's done. Now, if I'm Joshua, I'm like, okay, see, see, I see. Uh, you have already, not really, because the walls are still there, and they still got bows and arrows and stuff. They are not happy we're here, okay? And God begins to speak to him. He says, no, I have already done it. Watch me. God gives Joshua the promise first. Before anybody started marching, before anybody started shouting, God says, I have already done it. Why is that? Because here's what God wanted me to tell you today. Is that for any problem you have in the room today, God has a promise for you today. And that promise that he has for you, that promise that he gives you is how you're going to overcome the problem. Oh, we are really good with identifying problems, but a lot of times we are not so good at identifying what God says in his word about how I'm going to overcome this thing. But you know what I found out? I found out there are over 7,000 promises in your Bible, promises for every battle, promises for every fight, promises for every emotion. There are promises, and those promises, ladies and gentlemen, are what give you the power to be an overcomer. If you believe it, say amen. Today I said, is that rain? Today I said, Lord, I want, you to, I want you to show forth your glory by letting the fire fall and, let, and pouring out your spirit. Water is a symbol of spirit. First serious fire alarm went off. Second service, there's an outpouring. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize the moment, but I'm here to tell you God is about to bring some new fire. God is about to bring a fresh outpouring right here in this church, right here in Sharpsburg, Noonan, Peachtree City, Fayetteville. I decree and declare that the fire that God has birthed here in this house will continue to spread like wildfire. If you believe it, say amen. See, why does God give us the promise first? Because he knows that's going to be what carries you through every problem. See, see. now let, let's just have some fun. Let's have some fun for a minute because we're shouting and that's all great. But, but let me ask you a question. Um, um, how many of you in the room uh, have an iPhone or an iPad? You're an Apple kind of person. Like you use the Apple products. You know, you got, if somebody's text comes through green, you're like, I ain't even got time for that. You know, you, you Apple, iPhone, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay. How many of you, by chance, are Android or Google phone users? Okay, just leave your hand up. The rest of us, let's extend our hands in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just thank you for releasing them from this, from this bondage, Lord. And do what you can, Lord, in Jesus' name. <laughs> I just, I'm sort of having fun with this, but, but the reason why I polled you is because I, I, I'm, a, I'm in the first group, okay? I, I like Apple. But not just because the text comes through blue. <laughs> I like Apple because of their marketing. I think they're just really clean and just simple. And I've always thought it was kind of cool, okay? 
So I remember following them early on when, when iPhone really started. And then you got like the 3G iPhone. That was like a big deal, you know. And I was into all of this. And I was into technology. And I was into the whole organization. Well, you know, they actually had a phrase early on when they first developed the App Store. They had this phrase that was so popular and catchy that they actually trademarked it so nobody else could take this phrase when they're talking about where you would download apps. And it's this phrase. Apple trademarked this phrase. It's this. There's an app for that. They want you to know for whatever you got going on today, whatever you need, there's an app for that. Like if you, if you don't have a ride somewhere, there's an app for that. You're tired of having an Uber and Lyft and all that stuff, and you need a new car. Did you know? You don't even have to talk to car dealers anymore. There's an app for that. You could just boom, and you just go to the place, and there's a car vending machine. And you just get in the car and drive. Oh, I know you think I'm crazy. Did you know you used to have to, to rent a car? You used to have to go on a website, go to Hertz, call them up, get the thing, go show. Now, no, there's an app for that. You don't even have to go to a car rental location right now in Atlanta. There are cars parked somewhere randomly owned by a company that owns an app that you can boom, and the doors open up for you and you drive around did you realize they were right the whole time for whatever we need there's an app for that you need to get you need to find an open table somewhere to go eat lunch or eat dinner today boom there's an app for that there's an app for everything I could go on and on and on I, I say all of that for sake of illustration and to navigate to my transition <laughs> to tell you this for every problem in your life today God says there's a promise for that uh, what do you mean? I mean that there's not one problem in this room today. You could throw your problem. You could throw your problem at the stage, but God could throw a promise right back at you. There's nothing that you have. A, there's nothing that you have that he doesn't say, I've already given you the power through what I said in my word. So if you're sick today, yes, guess what? There's a promise for that because the Bible says that, that, that his stripes give me the healing. The Bible says by his stripes, I can be healed. It also says sickness and disease can't even come near the place where I live and where I dwell. Maybe today you're not sick, but you're depressed or you're discouraged. Guess what? There's a promise for that too. The Bible says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. See, see, there's a promise for every problem. Maybe you would say, Pastor, my problem ain't even about me. It's about someone I really care about and I love them and they're not following Jesus. And I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't know what promise he has for them because they seem like they would never change. They seem like they would never come to God. Hear me, there's a promise for them too. And it's says this it says that Jesus the good shepherd would leave the 99 to go after the one that it isn't even the healthy who need a good physician it's the ones who are sick there is a promise oh for everything Oh, maybe you're dealing with financial difficulties. Maybe you're going through a financial struggle. Guess what? There is a promise for that. You don't have to do this thing based on what you can create and on what you can produce. The Bible says that there is an ability that you can tap into riches that are beyond what you have, that you are like a king and a priest in the kingdom of God, that you have access to things in the natural through the spirit. But if you don't know that, you don't have a promise to use. We have to get to the place. I remember when I was younger, when I first got into uh, ministry. Now, I, I know today, maybe you assume I've always been in ministry and like I'm a pastor's kid or something, but furthest thing from that. And when I first got saved, around 17, 18 years old, my grandma bought me this book, and it was a Bible promise book. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? It even got my little name inscribed on there. I'm like, I don't even need my name on this, but thanks, grandma, you know. And so this little promise book with, with every 
thing that I would deal with as an early believer, I would thumb and I would find it. Discouragement, depression, sickness, fear, doubt. There was not one thing that God's word doesn't already give us the solution for. And I came here this morning to tell you that whatever problem you have, God says there's a promise for that. And what I'm really... Wanting to share with you is that every time you come to church here, huh? every time you come and worship, every time bishop or pastor or someone is teaching from this stage, you are receiving something from God. And it's called revelation. It's God revealing. That's why you got to keep showing up. That's why you can't keep making excuses for missing things and sports and games and all that stuff is a lot of fun. But hear me, you've got to keep coming to the place where God is revealing and God is opening up the heavens and God is saying, see, come up here where I am. Let me show you some new stuff. Oh, we've got to get to the place where we see what he says. He says, I'm going to give you revelation because this situation that you're about to walk into is going to be so hard. And the way we as believers walk in victory is that we see our situations as beneath us and our revelations as above us. We say, you know what? I can be in a bad situation, but as a believer, I'm not even moved by it. And I can cause some people to be confused. Like, why are you not stressed out right now? And I can say, because my my faith is not based on what's happening to me. My faith is based on what he said to me. And though I may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil because he's not giving me a spirit of fear this is word but a power love and a sound mind I want to walk in revelation because nobody wants to hang out with people who are negative all the time that deserved a good amen right there Does anybody else know a negative Nancy or a Debbie Downer? Every time you want to start talking about something good, they want to try to bring it down. You could be around believers like this, and it blows my mind. You could be like, well, you know, I'm blessed because I'm about to go on a a mission trip to Brazil. I'm so excited about it. We've been praying. I've been raising money. I've been washing cars and doing everything I can. I'm so excited to go and share the glorious gospel in Brazil. And here come Debbie. Well, you know, they got that Zika virus over there still. You better watch out because, you know, you don't want to, you know, you might want to rethink this. You know, you can minister to people here. Like, be quiet, Debbie. I don't have time for Debbie anymore. I want to be around believers who believe higher than me, see greater than me, because that's the kind of people that call me to the next level of faith. I need people who see oh, what no one else sees. So this is what God does. He says, see, I have. And he gives him this promise. He gives him revelation. Now watch this. Once this happens, ladies and gentlemen, he begins then to give him all these detailed instructions. He begins to share these detailed things. And so now he's going to have to call all the Israelites together for a meeting. Now can you see this meeting? Joshua has to call about two million of them, you know, give or take. The different people estimate different ways. But he's got to call all these people together. God told him how they were going to get through this thing, how they're going to fight this battle. But God didn't tell all the Israelites. So he is the leader now faced with the daunting task of telling all of these people how they are going to overcome this battle. Woo. Can you see this meeting? Joshua was like, all right, everybody, gather around. <laughs> um, all two million of y'all, great. Can y'all hear me in the back? Not a chance. Okay. So today I know it looks really bad, everybody. I know the walls, you know, the armed guards, the soldiers, all that stuff. I know it looks really bad. But I met with God. Today we talked, you know. And God told me how we are going to get through this. And so he's remembering all the specific details. So what we're going to do is we're going to camp out here. And every day we're going to get up from camp. And we're going to march around the city. Single file line with excellence. Roll your feet. While we're marching, we're going to come back to camp. And and every day while we're making that round, we're going to not just march, we're going to play the trumpet. 
That's right, we're going to play a song for them boys over there. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to go back to camp. And that's what we're going to do every day. There's like an Israelite girl in the back with an attitude who is like, Joshua, Joshua, this is crazy. Okay, first of all, we're supposed to be getting to the promised land. You got us out here walking around in the heat, playing the horn. We're in some tent. What is this, band camp or something? We got to go, Joshua. We got to go. And, and everybody starts to do what you're doing. They're like, oh, this man's lost his mind. They start to scatter and rumble and talk. And Joshua's like, wait, don't leave yet. Wait, wait, wait. Somebody get her. Um, I almost forgot. One more thing, everybody. The way we're going to win this fight, the way we're going to bring these walls down is we're going we're gonna to yell at them. And when I tell you to yell, we're going to yell, and we win. That's all I got. I mean, they were probably thinking, what? Where is Mo when you need him? The stick, just tap the walls, we good. They're thinking, this, this man has lost his mind. But you want to know what, and all, and all jokes, with all jokes aside, they actually didn't murmur this time. I know they get a bad reputation, the Israelites. They didn't complain. We just see them doing what God told them to do. They just did it. No matter how foolish they looked. Imagine being in Jericho watching these dudes. They, oh, they tried to intimidate us. Marchy march, tootie toot on the whole. What is this? What are they doing? There's no intimidation factor. You know, they're like, they're, they're out there like, man, Joshua better be right because we out here looking like a bunch of fools, man. I'll tell you what, I ain't never in my life. This is crazy. Every day, y'all, every day getting up from camp. You know, they got up every day, did the same exact thing. Every day. You know, they got up every day, did the same exact thing. And nothing was changing for six days, walking in circles, doing what God called them to do. But nothing's changing. Walking in circles, being obedient to the call, but seeing nothing change. Have you ever been there? Am I the only one? I'm walking in circles. I'm trying to do what God called me to do. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm serving. I'm tithing. I'm fasting. I'm going to groups. I'm changing my service time next week. I'm doing it all, Lord. But I'm still here with the same battle and many times we feel frustrated because we are only thinking about our problems through the context of time but God is on the outside of time and many times while we're thinking God you should have already done this God is saying to us I have already done it but you're just catching up with what I've already done in time I found out that God doesn't always do stuff when I want him to but he will always wait for the perfect time and that's why the seventh day makes more sense for the Bible scholars in the room because you know in the scriptures Seven, the number seven is the number of completion and the number of perfection. And there will be times where you will be walking with God and it feels like you're just spinning your wheels and it feels like you're just walking in circles and it feels like nothing's changing. But God says, I will show up in the perfect time and everybody around you will know it wasn't you. It wasn't your willpower. It wasn't your works. It wasn't your effort. It was me. I'm the one who did it. And that's when God gets the glory from the story. They'll do it. See, this, this, this meeting was an opportunity for them to trust what they couldn't see. And they started marching. Now, now I know, I know that on the seventh day, this is usually like where the sermon will end. And, and, and I want to take us deeper today. But let's not rush past the fact that on that seventh day, Joshua says he commanded them. This is the day I was telling you about. We're all going to shout. And when we open our mouths and shout, we're going to see the victory. And the Bible declares that when they opened their mouths, when they blew the trumpets, when they shouted, that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Now, I have found out that there are some scholars, theologians, a very 
few, but there are some who have postulated things in the past of how, maybe, maybe, how, how could this happen? Maybe it was uh, enough seismic activity, some have said, from the uh, sheer amount of, of, of all of these people from this nation and the walking and the shouting that maybe it caused these walls to get unstable. And, and I just refuse to believe that somehow it was their effort, their void. Their, I think there was something bigger here. And ladies and gentlemen, usually where the sermon ends is when they shout and the walls fall. But I want to show you, first of all, it was, it was much more than a shout. It was much more than a shout. It was, I submit to you, it was a praise. It was a praise. And I think it's the most powerful kind of praise. Because they were praising God, hear me, not for what he had already done for them. Not for what he was doing in that moment. They were praising God for what they believed he was about to do. So when they shouted, I have to believe it was a praise. Because what was it? It was an audible expression. Birthed out of an expectation. Based on what God had already said. Y'all didn't hear me. I'll rewind. It was an audible expression. Birthed out of an expectation. Based on what God had already said. See, they were praising God not because of what it looked like. They were praising God because they knew, I have a word. I have a promise. I have a revelation. And I have the ability and faith to shout before I ever see one stone start to crumble. And that's when those walls fell down. But hear me, ladies and gentlemen, I, I got to show you something. I got to take you deeper uh, uh, because the sermon can end here and we can shout and we can praise God and go home. But I want to show you why I think I'm here today. You have, to, you have to look at what happens after the walls fall. The Bible declares after the walls fall. Somebody say after. After, after the walls fall, it says every man went into the city. And watch this. It says they took the city and they destroyed with the sword everything that was still alive in the city. When I read this as an early Christian, a young believer, only been saved a year or two the first time, this stuff kind of bothered me when I'm reading the Old Testament. Like God commanded that everybody be killed, young, old, even the animals. Like this is out of control. I needed to understand why. And some of you, maybe you have felt that way. Like why would God do that? Well, you have to understand this is before the cross. This is before Jesus came to die for us. And in the Old Testament, there were entire nations that were so evil, wicked, idolatrous that God would smite entire nations because they were at what theologians call a point of no return before the cross. And this was the kind to place Jericho was evil wicked idolatrous uh, they, they were at a point of no return so God says everything on the other side of these walls before you leave here everything has got to die and I want to show you those living things on the other side of those walls they represent something they represent the things that even when I've had victory as a believer the these things represent the stuff that's still standing in my way See, they had victory. They're on their way to the promise. But even though they had victory, there were still some things between them and the promise that had to die if they were going to continue on. My question to you today, ladies and gentlemen, is what is that thing in your life that seems like it never dies? All the battles, all of the, the great testimonies of your life, but it seems like that one thing is always there. You've come to the altar before. You've tried to put it to death before. You've tried to go to counseling. You've done everything you've known to do. But that thing is still standing there between you and what God has for you. These things are what I'm after today. And, and, and notice all of those things are put to death with the sword. Hold up. We're in Joshua 6. Let's go back to Joshua 5. Remember when God showed up in the appearance of a man to Joshua? We started there. It says he, he, he appears to Joshua with a drawn sword in his hand. 
Now Joshua, watch me here, he was a warrior himself. He had his own sword. Joshua, being a warrior, he understood and knew that there's, there, there's only two reasons to have a drawn sword. I guess one thing if you got the sword, but when you pull the thing out, you know, there's only two reasons to have a drawn sword. Reason number one caused Joshua to ask his first question out of only two. He says to him, what side are you on? And that's when he says, neither. And Joshua falls down and begins to give worship because he realizes if you're here and you've got a sword out and you're not here to fight, there's only one other reason to have a drawn sword, and that is to equip someone else to fight. So Joshua asks him the second question. Here it is. He says, what word do you have for me? See, Joshua realized what some of you are about to realize in this room, that the sword that the Lord was holding, being that this was a spiritual man, he was holding, it makes sense, not a physical sword, but a spiritual sword. I think Joshua realized the sword represented what God was really giving to him. And so it makes sense then why he says, what word do you have for me? And, And that's when God says to him, I have given you the city along with its king and its fighting men. This is how you're going to do it. Be obedient. You can't see it, but I've given you a sword. And when you feel like you can't fight anymore, I've given you the weaponry that you need to overcome everything that stands in your way. Do you want to, do you, we have to make this, we have to make this plain for our own lives. God is saying, God is saying, when he speaks to us, when he gives us revelation, when you come to church and you get a word, or if God promised you something when you were on your face and you wrote it down, and maybe some of you got to go dig that stuff up again. He, he spoke something to you. He gave you a promise. What did he really give you? He he put a sword in your hand. Because when you get the word in you, you get the weaponry of heaven in you. Because that is the thing that God always uses. If you want to learn how to be an effective prayer warrior or an effective intercessor, stop praying to sound spiritual and start praying to say things like this. Lord, I thank you that your word says. God, I thank you that the Bible says. God, I thank you that you already said. See, this is where the power is. The power is in the weaponry that he's given us with the word of God. And I believe that when they shouted, that's what caused the walls to fall. It wasn't even their vocal cords. It wasn't even the voices. It was the fact that they praised God because they had a promise on the inside. And when you praise God for the promise that he's given you, it releases his power in the earth. Joshua takes the sword. And that's what they would use. You know, if you study your Bible after Jericho, that first that first battle that Joshua led, they would encounter city after city. These places that they had to, they had to, they had to conquest. They had to go through these battles to get to the promised land, the place where Moses never got them. Joshua led them. Do you know what? I keep seeing this language over and over in the Old Testament. You'll see it. When they went into the city, they took everything and they destroyed everything that was still alive. With what? With the sword. It makes sense why he was holding that sword. Sometimes when you read your Bible, It's not even so much about how much you can read every day. It's when you do read it, it's how much you ask about it. God, why is that there? God, what happened here? For young preachers in the room, it's not so much about how much you know, it's about how much you ask. I say, Lord, why? Why why the sword? The sword, there's a sword. And that's when God begins to give us revelation. God's saying, every word I give you is a sword that has the power to put things to death that don't belong there. And behold, all things become new. That's why if you've been addicted for years so much so that you just stopped telling people about it, stopped asking for prayer, you just accepted it, you put it in a hidden compartment of your life and kept on living your life as a believer, but you know that's the thing that's stopping you from moving forward. 
And if you could get honest with yourself today, maybe, maybe there's something standing between you and what God has for you. And for far too long, you've just accepted it or you've thought to yourself, I don't know how to overcome it. And today God's saying, I'm going to give you the simple truth. It's my word in you that gives you the power to overcome every demon and every obstacle and everything that would ever try to keep you from what I have for you. So where is the power, ladies and gentlemen? The power, if you have his word in you, it's in you. Jesus shows us the greatest way to use the sword of the spirit because in Revelation when we see Jesus, we see him on a white horse. He has these beautiful eyes and this white hair and this long robe, king of kings and lord of lords on him. On his head are many crowns, but notice what it says in Revelation comes out of his mouth. A sword that God would use to smite the enemy. And the way God is going to use you to put all those things that don't belong in your life to death is not by your talents, your skills, even what you know about church. But it's the power that comes from the pure, revelatory promises of God. My role today is to call you to a place where you realize this whole time you've been fighting with clenched fists, fighting this thing, you had a clenched fist, and God wants to remind you that that fist is clenched because you're not, you're not just angry. No, God put something in that hand. You're holding on to something. You may have forgotten that you even had it. God gave you a promise years ago, and you've had the sword in your hand, and you've been walking around dragging that thing around, causing sparks. It's so heavy. God says, I put something in you. That's so, and you're walking around trying to find the answers. I'm going to this appointment, going to this person, and doing this over here, and you're dragging this thing. And God says, if you, if, if you would realize I put something in you a long time ago, but you've been carrying it around, not even noticing. You forgot that it was there. You don't even feel the weight of it anymore. I'm talking to somebody that God promised you children. I'm talking to somebody that God promised you. Ah, he promised you that you'd be healed from that disease. I'm talking to somebody that God promised you that you would be able to make millions, not just for you, but to fund the kingdom. I'm talking to somebody that God promised you he'd use you to lead people to Jesus, but you somehow forgot what he put placed in your hand. The God, the God of heaven puts the sword in your hand so that you can look just like Jesus, and the sword that he put in your hand, it begins to bubble up out of you, and it comes out of your mouth. That means you're going to tell people what God promised you. That means you're going to talk about it, but it also means just like at Jericho, you're going to be able to praise God even in the midst of adversity because you know the power that you have on the inside. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. In this moment, these last sacred seconds of our time together, I want to just pray for any and everyone who may be in the room and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're far away from Him. Maybe you haven't prayed in weeks or months. Maybe, maybe you just got invited here today. You're just in town for the weekend, for the holiday, but somehow you found yourself here today and you know that God is calling you to a deeper relationship with Him. With heads bowed and eyes closed, it's really simple today. It's really simple. The Bible says that if you believe that Jesus died for you, that he rose on that third day to give you everlasting eternal life, and you latch on to that in faith, that you are saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell. Saved from suffering. Saved from eternal darkness. But you're saved from the thing that's trying to kill you here now. God says, I'll rescue you here. And you'll be saved in eternity. If that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe it's the first time or maybe it's the 50th time, but you would say, today is the day I want to make a fresh commitment. No one's looking around. But if that's you, just put a hand up so I can see you all over the room. People saying yes to Jesus. Yes, I'm getting saved. Hands are going up front, back, side to side. People saying yes. Thank you for being willing to put that hand up. You can put those hands down. 
I want you to pray right where you're at. I can't pray it for you, but I can help lead you. I just want you to begin to pray, and I'm going to lead you, but I want you to pray. If you lifted your hand, just pray with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Tell him that. Say, I believe you died on the cross, that you did it for me. Say, say Lord, I, I know that I've failed. I know that I've messed up, but I give you my life today because I know you lived a perfect life, and then you died a death for all of my mistakes, and I believe that I should have been the one that died the death. I'm the one that deserved separation, but you made a way, and I worship you today for that, and I give you my life. I believe you died. I believe you rose. I believe you're my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.